Welcome to the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. My name is Natalie Nidham. I'm a nutritionist, a human potential, and epigenetic coach, and I created this podcast to bring you the latest ways to take control of your health and longevity. We cover it all, from new technology to ancestral health practices, personalized interventions, and a very special interest of mine, peptides. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Before we get started, I want to remind you about two things. Number one, the Women's Longevity and Resilience Retreat is happening again for the third time this November from the 1st to the 6th in Cabarete in the Dominican Republic. It's going to be amazing. We still have a few spots left. We've got a few ladies already signed up. We're super excited. They're super excited. You may be super excited to be the next person to join us. So we're spending five days with yours truly by the beach, nerding out on biohacking, nutrition, supplementation, and all the things, plus doing sunrise walks on the beach, doing yoga, getting body treatments, playing with biohacking toys. If any of this sounds even remotely interesting to you, head on over to natnidham.com, check out the retreat tab at the top of the page, and you can book a Zoom call with me and my co-host, Dasha, and we can answer your questions and see if this is a fit for you. The second housekeeping piece is Mighty Networks, my private membership community. I would just love to see you there. It is a great community. We do have lots of fun in there. We do lots of end of one experiments. We have experts, like people who were on the podcast who come in, give private talks, answers people's questions. Very often they'll have special deals or they'll offer people the opportunity to do really cool end of one experiments. It's a really, really, really cool community, you guys. It's small, and that is what makes it so special. So if you want to learn more about it and you want to join, go to natnidham.com, click on the BSP community tab at the top, you'll get to learn more. And don't forget that if you join for as an annual member, you get instant access to my Peptide Crash Course 2.0. All right, let's now get started. Do you want to know why I prioritize primidine spermidine by Oxford HealthSpan as a part of my daily supplement stack? Well, guys, it's simple. It's one of the best longevity tools that I believe we have available to us. Spermidine improves health span by inhibiting nine of the 12 hallmarks of aging, including stem cell and mitochondrial dysfunction, telomere shortening, inflammation, and gut dysbiosis. Plus, it even supports memory, cognition, and heart health. Not only that, but the, the above the bar benefits that people experience and see very often within about three months of starting, they will notice that their hair gets shinier and thicker. They may find that their eyelashes get thicker, their skin improves, their nails grow really fast. It's really cool. I have seen this in myself, in my family, and in my clients. And the last thing that a lot of people will notice, and this is particularly with the original formula, they will notice massive improvements in their deep sleep. So if this all sounds too good to be true, you actually don't need to take my word for it. Just head over to OxfordHealthSpan.com and read the borderline miraculous reviews from other users. And if you want to try it for yourself, use code BIONAT15 to get 15% off. Okay, now let's talk a little bit about this episode. Look, guys, over the past 20 years, there has been a transition in the discussion around mental health. Now, more than ever, there's been a really heavy focus on stress, anxiety, and the impact they can have on our overall health. However, the ability for people to engage with techniques such as mindful breathing and meditation has also decreased over the years. As a matter of fact, I've spoken to a lot of people, a lot of clients who find that trying to meditate or trying to do breath work actually stresses them out. It's a bit of a paradox. These are the things that are supposed to help you. And yet in some people, it can drive more anxiety. 
So today I'm joined by Stefan Schmelich, co-founder and inventor of Sensate, to discuss why it's important to focus on regulating our nervous system and how embracing discomfort and taking risks is the key to transformation and development. We also dive into the technology behind Sensate, the benefits of using Sensate, and the different use cases. Now, I'm going to share with you my experience with Sensate. I'm going to admit that for the longest time, I had a Sensate and it sat in the box. And it took me forever to open that box. I don't know why. Don't even ask me. And here's how I have found that Sensate has been a total game changer for me. I use my Sensate at night in bed as I'm falling asleep. I have my noise canceling headphones on. I've got my Sensate on my chest. My favorite track is the sound bowls and chants. And I fall asleep to my Sensate. Very often I'll just sleep with my noise canceling headphones on. I keep them plugged into my phone. My phone's on airplane mode. And I will tell you guys that there's literally almost nothing that has allowed my HRV to recover to levels I haven't seen in, well, many, many months. So it's made a massive impact on me. Now, I will tell you that different technologies impact different people differently, but I keep hearing this over and over again from people. So if you're someone who's looking for a way to regulate your nervous system and improve the amount of quality sleep you're getting each night, you're definitely going to want to tune into this conversation first. Don't just take my word for it. Stefan is inventor of the Sensate technology. He's a lifelong meditator and the founder of London Harley Street's New Medicine Group. He's a technology innovator and physician with 30 years of clinical experience, working with tens of thousands of patients, experience stress and anxiety. And guys, this guy oozes passion. You will see in this interview, he just can't help himself. Like he is so passionate about what he, what he does. And he is now entirely devoted to leveraging his significant and unique experience towards achieving maximum impact for Sensei as the ideal consumer solution. I mean, this is a guy like so many people who figured out, look, I can't do it alone. I need a tool that can help me to get this help out to as many people as possible. So if you're someone who thinks they might be helped by Sensate and you want to give it a try, just go to getsensate.com forward slash Nat and you will save 10% off your Sensate. And I believe you have a 30-day trial period. If it really doesn't resonate for you, then you can return it. But I'm telling you guys, give it 30 days of consistent use. All right? Not Don't use it once or twice and say, oh, it did nothing. Give yourself some time and get into it. Find your favorite tracks. Okay. Now, one more thing before we dive into the episode. I want to thank our sponsor, Berkeley Life Nitric Oxide. Guys, if you've been listening to this podcast, you've heard this before, but if you're new or if you've never made it to this spot before, if nitric oxide is not part of your daily regimen, you are definitely going to want to listen to the rest of this message. Get this. Your home, your body is home to over 60,000 miles of blood vessels. Nitric oxide is what helps circulate blood to all those vessels through vasodilation which is what, and while made naturally in the body, we produce less nitric oxide as we age, resulting in diminished blood flow and less effective circulation of critical oxygen, key nutrients, and glucose. Berkeley Life is my daily go-to for nitric oxide support. I take my two dietary nitrate capsules in the morning and I'm good to go. The more I learn about nitric oxide, including its impact on proper hormone balance and even oxidative stress, the more I encourage my clients to join me in incorporating Berkeley Life's easy daily supplement into their daily wellness routine. It's in mine every single morning, those two capsules down the hatch. Now, Berkeley Life's high quality supplements are available on berkeleylife.com. The only thing is that you need to be a practitioner or have been referred by a practitioner to get access. So all you have to do is register a consumer and use my practitioner code 
N-I-D-D-B-L when you register and check out for 10% off your first order. So once again, that's N-I-D-D, the first four letters of my last name, B-L for Berkeley Life, when you register and check out for 10% off your first order. All right. So thank you so much for being here. Enjoy the episode. If you get value from this episode and know somebody else who will, please make sure that you share it. And if you're feeling inspired, by all means, please, please leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening to the podcast, because this is how we rise up the ranks. We reach more people. And more importantly, we get you more amazing guests. Enjoy the show. Hey, folks, just a quick reminder that all of the information presented in this podcast is for information purposes only. No medical advice, no diagnosing, no treatments suggested here. Before you try anything that you hear about or learn about here, make sure that you check with your medical provider. Stefan Schmalik, welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Natalie, so nice to be here. So we've, of course, as people know who listen to this podcast, we've been chatting now for We've recorded, we could have recorded a whole other podcast before the podcast, but that I think it's, you know, it's funny. I find that having good podcast conversations with guests, it's a little bit like we need a warm up. You need just like you need a good warm up before you work out. You need, we need that kind of getting ourselves on the same wavelength. So I'm really excited about this conversation, of course, because, you know, in this day and age, anything that anyone can tap into to help calm and regulate their nervous system is going to benefit them so absolutely and, and and you know i love talking to experts like yourself thank you the feeling is mutual and i'm looking forward to tapping into your expertise in this area because you have a couple of decades of uh of work behind this whole um endeavor that we're going to talk about today so i think before we talk about anything let's 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 dive into a little bit of this conversation around stress and anxiety that, you know, I have to say that, I don't know, was it 15, 20 years ago? I don't know that we talked about stress and anxiety and the way that we do now. It's like either it's become a national an international obsession or something's going on in the world. And I think we all know something's going on in the world, but something's going on. But you started this journey a long time ago before we were in the state that we're in right now. So maybe we, you can talk a little bit about your body of work and how this all kind of came to pass. Yeah, I mean, it seems that, you know, looking back, everything always seems inevitable, doesn't it? But um, uh, I was brought up in a household where um, natural medicine and philosophy was the norm. So dad taught me and my brother to meditate when I was five or six. I've been meditating for, you know, decades, five uh, five decades or so. Um, and my practice uh, was, became more and more specialized in working with people with stress and anxiety and trauma and PTSD in particular. Uh, that, that seemed to me um, to be an area that was poorly managed um, by most interventions and by mainstream medicine. And it seemed to be an area that I uh, understood particularly and had sympathy with and which could, where I could help. But I think I'm sure partly from my own background, I mean, I think a lot of healers, they come to it from a kind of wounded healer kind of point of view. You know, we, 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 it's, our, it's our own journey and mm -hmm. it's through helping others that we also heal ourselves. So my, my dad was a, um, uh, a war refugee uh, from Poland, uh, undiagnosed with PTSD, but I you know I, 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 I'm able to see looking back, that's clearly, clearly what he was going on for him. So that kind of informed my childhood growing up and my adulthood growing up. 
And um, when I formed New Medicine Group in Harley Street, um, uh, and I've been practicing for 35 years or something, uh, you know, we specialized in different areas, but my particular area of interest was people with, as I say, anxiety, etc. And I've been using sound for a long time in what I do, various techniques in nutrition and acupuncture and herbal medicine and lots of body work, lots of um, uh, breath work, meditation work, but particularly sound. I started sticking, you know, speakers under pillows 30 years ago and, 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 and evolving from there. Yeah. Um, and uh, we had, you know, we were the first people to have a big uh, clinical uh, technology called called uh, Satori, which you sat on as like a Zen, a Zen um, zero gravity chair with, with headphones. And this would relay low frequency sound and oral sound through you. And it was uh, sitting on that technology, meditating one day, um, the, the whole concept really for uh, the Sensate technology was downloaded and, um, and, and uh, you know, uh, that was in what, 2015. Uh, and then we developed it from there. Um, so I tested it for a number of years with, you know, real patients in clinic to determine that it really was having the kind of impact that I wanted. And then when it was clear that it did, then we formed the company and made it available to the public. And and that really, for me, is the thing, talking about stress and anxiety, um, is I worked out for myself that I, I, I wanted to be in a position to have maximum impact. So I realized that, you know, being in an upmarket London clinic, I could see, you know, tens of thousands, a few thousand people over the rest of my career uh, and have a wonderful impact on, you know, on, on those relationships. Um, but that impact wasn't going to be enough to stem the tidal wave of stress and anxiety and trauma that was really engulfing the world. Because um, what I'd really noticed is that people's ability to engage with the techniques that I'd been using for, 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 you know, for decades, uh, meditation, classical breathing techniques, um, uh, mindfulness exercises, et cetera, people's ability to engage with those really um, uh, stopped. Yeah. Over, over a period of a few years, it became really noticeable that people stopped being able to meditate. They stopped being able to do breathing exercises. Uh, and I got to the point where I just give people kind of 10 minute app based exercises to do because uh, they, they were no longer able to do, you know, hour or 45 minute ones. And even, even the 10 minute app ones, they'd come back and they I'd say, well, how did you get on? And they say, well, you know, I sat there looking at my watch, waiting for it to finish or, yeah. you know, or, or actually sitting there try, really willing myself to relax and actually feeling more anxious. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, so I realized there really was a problem here. Yeah. Um, and that using willpower, um, to try and overcome anxiety clearly wasn't going to work. As yeah. Andrew, Professor Andrew Hoopman says, you can't use the minds to control the mind. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, you know, there's no end of people and methods now to try and hack past the mind to get to, to it, it, we're, we're actually, what I'm starting to, what I'm seeing, and I think anybody, all of us are seeing is, and there's and there's you know humans are nothing if we're not creative and resourceful right um, um and so you have things like microdosing mushrooms or ketamine therapy or you know even acupuncture in a sense hacks it kind of bypasses or hacks through the nervous system or and tries to find ways around all of these these walls and defenses that really we put up or our subconscious put, puts up ultimately to protect us and those protections kind of sometimes they prevent us from being able to heal in many ways. Well, yeah, well, that's exactly the point. So we've had a vagus nerve for 
four or five hundred million years, um, uh, maybe longer. We've had a, what we can call a human brain for maybe about a million years. Mm-hmm. So the autonomic nervous system, you know, the lower brain stuff, is so much more deeply wired into our cells and our body and our connective tissue than the frontal cortex kind of logical thinking stuff. Right. Uh, you know, which is which is why you know you can have a panic attack irrespective of how intelligent or well educated you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's nothing because the um, the the brainstem, you know, the 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 primitive uh, survival mechanisms will override any logic, and and then let's say the fear almost always is illogical. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, there's no actual danger. Well, yeah, unless you've got a you know, something physically coming at you or, or you're, yeah, but, which is, which is, but in reality, that's incredibly rare. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, for, for the average person, probably two or three times in their life, um, to actually engage the flight or fight response is useful. Mm-hmm. The other 99% of the time, it's just, uh, it, it, all it does is make you anxious because, you know, yeah. your body is responding by producing adrenaline, but there's nothing to actually fight, fight or freeze from. Right. And, and that's 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 really the issue, isn't it? So we've become the dominant species on the planet by having this wonderful uh, evolved sense of threat perception. Um, but uh, technology has developed so much faster than we have evolved that yeah. now the things that are chasing us are no longer, you know, bears or tigers. They're emails and messages and workloads and to-do lists. Yeah. And there's nothing you, know, you can't do anything. You, know, you can't run from those. Uh, you can't fight them. Uh, you you know you either either do them or you don't make you know make a choice not to do them and to do things differently. But the re- the physiological response is the same, which is the re- the release of adrenaline. Right. And you mentioned PTSD earlier, um, mm. and in that cat- in that bucket, I would also put things like early childhood trauma. You know, the life experiences that happen early enough, and so you've got your PTSD, which is actual trauma that is impactful enough on your on the person that it it resets their nervous system into that heightened state ongoingly and then we have you know and i bring up the early childhood trauma because i just interviewed um a gentleman by the name of dr bruce hoffman who deals with a medical condition called mast cell activation syndrome and mm. you know which is a physical physiological condition yeah. And when I asked him, what do you consider to be the primary driver or what do you see most often in people who are the worst, who have the worst case of this, this, this condition? And his answer was early childhood trauma. And I don't know if in our world today, there's more instance of early childhood trauma or is all the pressure that parents are inadvertently putting on their kids because of the world that they live in, creating a situation for small children where they are now kind of being put in a situation of feeling pressure, which we could call stress earlier in life that basically is wiring their, their, their bodies to be in this fight or flight. And you're smiling and nodding as I'm talking. So I'm going to stop (laughs) describing this, but, but so the short question is, you know, do you think we're also inadvertently create, have created an environment for our kids that's setting them up for these issues you know, with all well, the best intentions, but yeah, of course, always with the best intentions. Uh, parents always have the best of intentions, and 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 you know, let's not be too hard on parents. Most no, of the time. no, no. Listen, we all do uh, the best we can right. with what we've got, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and there's no manual. <laughs> so 
Exactly. Um, but I think uh, there's a number of words which are used much more widely now than they used to be. Um, they've become destigmatized, which is a brilliant thing. So stress uh, and trauma and PTSD, these are words which um, people will use very widely now. Um, people will apply to themselves. Um, and sometimes they use accurately, sometimes they're maybe used too lightly. Yeah. Um, PTSD certainly is a very specific thing. Uh, a lot of people have uh, elements of trauma. Mm-hmm. And I think with so many things from, you know, wheat intolerance through to allergies, through to asthma, through to trauma, they're, you know, it, it, uh, because they're, be- are they being assessed more? Yeah. Or are people more liable to have them? And are people actually having them more? Yeah. Uh, no. I, think, I think the answer for all of those is both. Yeah. So, right. um, you know, wheat is different now. People's gut microbiome is different. So people's likelihood to have some kind of um, gluten or wheat or whatever intolerance is higher. But also we're much more likely to notice it and be aware of it and therefore diagnose it. Yeah. So the right. two, and, and the same applies with stress and with trauma. So there's, you know, and, and I'm and I, I'm very uh, grateful and thankful for this. There's a much higher recognition now of the role of trauma uh, and overwhelming experience in people's mental and physical health. Um, and um, and obviously specific events, either repeated events or single one-off events, which are sufficiently overwhelming, can cause PTSD, like symptoms, post-traumatic uh, stress disorder symptoms. And I think it's important to realize that um, it's not really so much about the event as the person. Mm. So yeah. some people, and that's and that, and that is in no way a judgment, right? So no, no, no. Yeah. yeah. So some people will be traumatized from something that somebody else might not be. Yeah. Uh, and also, one person might become traumatized from something that they at, at a different time in their life they might not have been traumatized by it. Mm-hmm. So. It's, it's whatever overwhelms the nervous system at that point to the, to the extent where the information is too much, the system shuts down, and then that information gets kind of encoded, locked into the connective tissue, the, the, um, you know, the body, it becomes somatized. Right. Trauma, although you can measure it, obviously, with, um, in the brain, um, uh, trauma, like most feelings, aren't really anything to do with the brain per se. They, these are really body feelings. Mm. Interesting. So the route into treating them is not the brain necessarily or or um, talking either, um, but uh, so, you know, things that will enable the body to process the trauma. The, bo- the, bo- the body keeps the score. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Good the, book. Um, is the, the, one of the great books on the subject. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so um, one of the things I'm now increasingly interested in is the concept of anti-fragility yes and i think i know we used to talk about resilience a lot uh and markers for resilience resiliency such as uh, hrv etc um what i've kind of understood and realized now is that resilience you know can you can build resilience into anything including a mechanical object right so you could make a really resilient um car yeah Uh, but eventually it's going to break down if you you know ride it hard enough Mm-hmm. Uh, anti-fragility is unique to biological organisms. Yeah, so it's the idea that you actually get stronger as a result of stress. Right. And given, given that we can't, well, given that most of us aren't going to go uh, off-grid or into a situation where stress is um, you know, not part of our lives, you know, part of, stress is just part of most people's reality. And, and you, know, you, you could even say it should be 
Well, I the, think, yeah, I think the, the the statement that without any stress, we would essentially die. There's truth in that. Yeah. It's like, there is truth there's, in that. Yeah. there's such a thing as hormetic stress, which is a little bit of what you're talking about, which is it's a little bit like, you know, if you if people who access homeopathic medicine, which is the notion that minute amounts of a toxin will help the body to be to deal with it, teach the body how to deal with it or allow the body to learn how to deal with it. So you become more more resistant to it, as it were, um, and a hormetic stressor as well applying stress to the body in a small enough dose that you're able to deal with it. And it becomes kind of this whole, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger kind of idea. Yeah, exactly. So, so coffea, which is homeopathic coffee is used for um, insomnia and anxiety, for instance, as you, as I'm sure, you know, um, yeah, exactly. It's, it's about the ability to adapt. So, mm-hmm. um, in a stress in it's in, in the real term just means, uh, one force acting on another. Right. Um, when, when the vast majority of the time, when we talk about stress, we're talking about negative stress, obviously mm-hmm. stress that, um, that we're not easily coping with. Right. And, um, uh, you know, obviously the opposite of anti, well, the, the, the bane of anti-fragility is comfort. Interesting. So, uh, so one, one of the biggest things I really have understood over the last uh, few years that we all need to do more of is become a bit less comfortable. Yes. Yes, that's I mean, that's that's such an interesting concept. Right. And this is where I think we're seeing the things come out in our space, like deliberate cold exposure or sauna, like exposing the body to extremes of even just temperature that that elicits a response that ultimately when you remove that stimulus, leaves you more resilient, more anti-fragile. So Yeah, exactly. I mean, the important thing is, though, that it's not uh, too extreme. Right. Because you know, if, you, if somebody goes into a cathartic state, they just tend to rein, re-traumatize and reinforce um, a, a negative um, feedback loop. Right. Um, uh, but the what I what I would say very strongly is that uh, uh, transformation, change, development is only possible outside of your comfort zone. Right. But the thing is, you mustn't leap outside of your comfort zone because it'll be too much and you'll run back in screaming and then you'll never want to do it again. So (laughs) you you put a toe outside your comfort zone, you get comfortable with that, and then you put another toe out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So so there's this process of kind of titration where you're moving in and out of, um, out in and out of comfort. You're moving gently into discomfort. Correct. Uh, And that, that, you know, that includes allowing yourself to be hungry, um, Mm -hmm. allowing, uh, uh, it to be cold and yourself to get cold, uh, allowing yourself to have less light. Yeah. Cause light is in you know, a lots of, lots of things about light, right? You know, we shouldn't have blue light. We shouldn't have overhead light at night. We should have red light in the morning. Um, but just, you know, functioning in darkness or semi-darkness is, 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 is a really, really useful way to develop our anti-fragility. Interesting. Interesting. That's actually a really interesting idea. No, I haven't had that discussion. The, yeah, the, I really encourage people to turn off the lights. Yeah. I don't mean stumble around literally in the dark. Although at night I do literally have no no lights. I'm con- <laughs> at the moment I'm contemplating a darkness retreat. Are I've you? Done, I've done many silent retreats, but I I am a bit scared of the dark. Um, I think I think it's completely normal and natural for human beings to be a bit scared of the dark. So one of the things I'm doing is yeah, looking at um, possibly doing a um, uh, working up to a ten day darkness retreat. And so that's an interesting concept, but wouldn't that 
technically make a mess of your circadian rhythm? Um, well, light comes out of darkness. Okay. Um, so it would reset your circadian rhythm. Yeah, there was a woman recently who did 500 days in a cave, for instance, in darkness. And? Uh, and uh, she thought she'd done about half that. Really? Interestingly, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we are, our circadian rhythm, our biorhythms are being messed up the whole time through LED, blue light, uh, exposure to light at the wrong time of day, not getting um, early morning sunlight. Remember that just a sheet of glass will cut down the positive um, uh, benefits of morning sunlight by 70%. I know. So, you know, so a window, a car window, sunglasses, contact lenses. Yes. Contacts um, are the worst, right? Because they're insidious. Like people well, then, who wear oxygen, contact lenses, you never leave home without them. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people live in sunglasses and a lot of people never see direct light because there's a window or a car um, mm -hmm. window between them and the light. So yeah, getting outside, so you really do have to get outside for a, an amount of time in the morning. Because remember until recently, all light was red. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The sun, torches, lamps, candles, everything was red. Until you mean we, the artificial light? Went, yeah. I mean, well, even, I mean you know, electric light is, is fairly recent and certainly a, a blue right. electric light is very recent. Right, right. But I mean, what I mean to say is even in the spectrum of the sun, you have different shades of light. You have red, you have blue, you have I mean, blue light in and of itself is not the enemy. It's the wrong blue light at the wrong time. Yeah. I mean, it, white light contains all spec all colors, right. of course. right. Uh, but it's still a sensor, you know, the sun, um, and even even white, you know, what, what you can only get pure white light from an artificial source. Right. Right. Yeah, you, you, you know, you don't get white light from the sun. Right, right. Um, you get, uh, you get, you get, you get some, there's some blue light in that because there's some mm -hmm. UV in that. Um, but it's predominantly, um, um, ultra, uh, it's, it's predominantly infrared, right? It's predominantly at the, the red end. Okay. Okay. So, the darkness retreat is intriguing. Um, again, I think it's one of those, it's a more extreme form of resetting a system. And I would think that just as before you jump into a cold plunge, you have to prepare your body. You have to, your, your nervous system already has to be in a place where it can deal with that shock going to a dark retreat. Again, you need to be at a certain point stage in your, I don't know, maybe call it your evolution, whatever it may be, before you can even think of taking that on. Even a silent retreat, honestly. Like I have a good friend who I consider to be one of the most grounded people I know who walked out of a silent retreat after three days. Like it was too much for him to bear at that, that point that, in his my, life. My experience is about 50% of people walk out in the first three days. Yeah. It it just it was it it wasn't going to work and good for him for recognizing that right. Yeah, yeah. But to go straight that. into a ten day silent retreat is not a great idea. You should do, you know, have a few days on your own at home without listening to talking to anyone, and then do a weekend, and then do yeah. a few, you know. So and and also you know going straight into a ten day dark retreat would also not be a great idea. No, that um, just sounds not, like a horrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not used to cold, diving into an icy lake is a really bad idea. Correct. Correct. Uh, you, should have, you should have had months of cold showers or you know little dips you know, up to your knees or whatever first. Correct. Yes, absolutely. You have to. There's no benef benefit to shock, trauma, or catharsis. There's no benefit. Right. 
Right. Um, uh, and a people, people tend to think, well, it's easy to think that the more dramatic the response and the reaction, if you end up crying and screaming, that's a good thing. And it just isn't. Correct. All it does is re recode trauma back into the connective tissue. And it's and this is the this go, gets to the root of the problem, the issue, not the I mean, let's not call it the problem, but the root of the issue is this this encoding of trauma, chronic stress, whatever we want, whatever it is, into tissue. This this yeah. you know we we seem to think, and you mentioned this earlier, or we've been led to believe that we can think our way out of these situations or talk our way out of these situations and. And I mean, look, there's definitely value to consciously acknowledging and getting our heads around ideas and concepts that may be stepping in our way. But the ultimate, okay. but the ultimate to really truly work our way out of this stuff has to involve a piece of physical, somatic, you know, something that gets that allows the tissue to release. Have, it has to involve the body. It has to involve the body. And all modern techniques, you know, um, psychotherapy is a relatively recent member. It's only been around for you know, a bit over 100 years. Um, so the kind of body orientation psychotherapy is, well, actually has been around for tens of thousands, well, thousands of years. But, you know, what, what we now call, now that we've given them names, right. uh, uh, like tra trauma release therapy and somatic experiencing, et cetera, you know, those, those are relatively new, the, non, the, the mostly non-talking based um, mm -hmm. uh, body psychotherapies. But, you know, remember, we've had a body for, you know, hundreds of millions of years. Mm -hmm. You know, we've had, we've had a thinking brain for, you know, for moments in comparison. Right. So, um, but, but you know, of course, totally acknowledging that it's our human thinking brain that's created and invented all this stuff that's got us to where we are now, mm -hmm. you know, for good and for bad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, you know, humans are the ones that experience depression and anxiety and suffering in a way that animals, or indeed even children, don't tend to, in, in under normal circumstances. Under normal, exactly. I mean, children can experience plenty, but of course they can. Uh, yeah. But you know, in, in a in a nurturing you know community um, or an animal in the wild, their natural state doesn't tend usually towards depression, anxiety, or trauma. Right. Especially, with, you know, especially with an animal, they 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 either, they either get eaten or they escape. And if they escape, they pant and they and they shake, and then they get on with it. They they don't become trauma. They don't you don't you don't get PTSD uh, in any way like the same form in animals that, that you do in humans because we inhibit our um, uh, uh, release process through to through the cultural conditioning. You know, we we feel uh, too ashamed, too guilty, too bad, too shake, too cry, to scream. Uh, at, uh, often at the time of the event, you know, we'll go into shock. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, often too afraid. You know, a child who has an alcoholic father, um, you know, will be too afraid to express those emotions when he hears the key in the door, you know? Right. So there's lots and lots of ways in which complex human society predisposes us towards over overwhelming um, feelings, uh, feelings, absolutely. And I think, you know, if we look at what most people, the majority of let's call it the developed world, um, suffer from today, um, it isn't the same things that people would have uh, a few, uh, even a few generations ago. So it's not malnutrition. It's not um, uh, you know, a, acute infectious disease on the whole. What most of us are being made ill from and then dying from over quite a long period of time is uh, preventable diseases of lifestyle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and the, um, the primary epigenetic 
influencer, yeah, the thing that turns um, uh, good genes on and bad genes off or the other way around is stress. Yeah. Chronic. Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah. We're not looking at how we manage and deactivate the negative impact of stress on our body, our mind, our genes. Then, um, then, you know, then we're, you know, we're not looking at things holistically. Correct. So let's bring another very specific body part into the conversation now. Let's talk a little bit about the vagus nerve, because, mm-hmm. again, 10 years ago, even though it was well known, it was it was, it was people no, have known about the vagus nerve for a long time. I think yeah. that it has entered the it's bubbling up into common vernacular a lot more. And people are more aware that they even have a vagus nerve. And then this whole idea of what the vagus nerve is quickly, where it runs, what it does, and how important it is to helping us to regulate and or reset our nervous system is really getting to the nut of of one of the things that we can do to help our bodies to be more anti-fragile. No, I mean, the, nervous, the vagus nerve is very important. But as you say, you would think it had just been discovered, wouldn't you? Because the way it's being talked about now. And yeah. to be honest, a, a neuro, most neurologists still wouldn't ascribe to the vagus nerve the functions that people within the kind of well-being um, sort of, uh, sphere do. So you know, we, we give it uh, meaning and purpose, which is beyond its um, function as a, just, a, a, you know, just a conduit for wiring. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's a very, very ancient nerve. It goes everywhere in the body, starts the brainstem, wanders down through the left ear, through the throat, and through all the organs down to the pelvic floor, effectively. So it controls all the autonomic nervous system organs, all the stuff which you wouldn't be able to think about doing. So breathing, peristalsis, heartbeat, sweating. Um, And it regulates, I mean, the way I I think it's most interesting to think about is is that it regulates the internal uh, world and the external world. Right. So it regulates your relationship between how you feel, your home, your own internal balance, homeostasis, and how the outside world is is responding to that. Um, so that's why most so so many of the uh, health issues that we see um, in the modern world generally, but particularly which are due to stress, are to do with the autonomic nervous system. So stuff like palpitations, anxiety uh, of the heart, breathing issues, tight chest, anything to do with the gut. Yes. Uh, because of the relationship between peristalsis, the vagus being literally the anatomical foundation for what we call the brain-gut axis. You mm-hmm. know, uh, The gut is the fifth brain, right? So it's the enteric nervous system. It's the feeling brain. And it's the um, it's the vagus nerve that, uh, that connects that to our thinking, logical brain, which, of course, isn't just all of our brain. Our brain, our brain contains many complex functions, but a big part of it is the logical, uh, numerical, if you like, um, uh, um, aspects. And then and then it does go right down into the pelvis. So it does have a urogenitory, a sexual uh, function effect, uh, and, it, um, and, uh, and, it, and it connects with, it, with uh, either all or most of the, sense, uh, the senses. Okay. So it is this kind of relationship between how you feel internally, how you're being regulated, your, your balance, your homeostasis, and the sensory information that's coming in, the interoception that's coming in. Mm-hmm. So some people refer to it as the the, the well-being nerve, uh, the nerve that enables um, connection and contact uh, between you um, and people, animals, things, nature. Um, and this also therefore tells you about what affects it. 
Right. So, um, uh, and, and the Vegas Nerve is, we, we, we like it and we talk about it because it's the largest branch mm-hmm. of, of the autonomic nervous system, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system. So, you know, we should, we should um, we, it's great to focus and understand the Vegas, but we should also uh, understand that it's only part of the autonomic nervous system. Yeah, right. and it's the autonomic nervous system as a whole that does all these functions that we just talked about. But yet the vagus nerve is is a, is gives us access to to a piece of that nervous system that we can that you know maybe gets out of balance and that we can directly affect in a variety of different ways to kind of try and help to restore you know ultimately we're looking for balance we're not trying to boost it we're not trying to suppress it all we're looking for is getting it's like hrv right heart rate variability the space between heartbeats and the idea that you know if you think about it you're like well my heart needs to beat like a metronome and getting past that notion and understanding that actually what you want is for your heart to be in such a relaxed state that it might seem like a metronome from at first glance, but actually there's a vari- there's variation in the spaces between heartbeats because it's not rigidly. Um, in fact, in fact the, the, the last thing you want, and I know that's exactly why you're saying it. The last thing yeah. you want is for your heart to be like a metronome, right? The, exactly. The way, the, way I, the way I phrase that is, they need, if something can't bend, it breaks. Exactly. Yeah. You know, right. So it's HRV, and remember, um, HRV is an expression of vagal nerve tone. Right. So, so I started being interested. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, I started being interested in HRV 20, 30 years ago, and then I realized, okay, well, let's actually go, let's cut to the chase, and let's look, let's become interested in the thing that regulates HRV, that regulates gut peristalsis, that regulates the heartbeat, that regulates blood pressure. Uh, that regulates all the things actually we're interested in. So rather than try and you know, look at those individually, let's go to the source and work out how can we benefit and influence uh, the primary mechanism that influences everything else that we're interested in. And that appears to be vagal nerve tone. Yeah, if, we, if, we're gonna, if, we, if we are in a slight, somewhat unholistic way trying to reduce it to one thing, yeah. um, we can probably say vagal nerve tone is the most important metric uh, that we can think about. Um, and tone is an interesting word, right? Because, you know, we talk about muscle tone. Yeah, we don't normally talk about nerve tone, but um, you know, nerves do have the, well, and with muscle tone, muscles only really contract. Um, so when you do weightlifting or you do any kind of muscle work, um, you know, you're, you're causing muscle fibers to get thicker and the muscle builds, builds up, increasing the tone, the contractile capability of the muscle. But as soon as you stop doing that, it, it will atrophy. And, and you know, the mo- within 10 minutes of leaving the gym, your muscles are atrophying, right? Uh, what's interesting well, about that's, nerve- that's a rather negative look, but yes. That's <laughs> <laughs> kind of an extreme statement, but Okay. <laughs> Uh, which isn't to say it's not a good thing. It just means yeah, you need yeah, to get yeah. back and do it again, right? Yeah. And you, you need to do daily exercise. That's just how it is. Um, uh, but nerve tone, once you've increased the ter- tone of a nerve, it's permanent. It's forever. And the nerves are forever. <laughs> so when you do an activity that lays down neurons in a specific neural network, uh, those are there forever. Um, now, it, it may be the case that another neural network supersedes, is louder 
Mm-hmm. So if you've got a really powerful motorway neural network around drinking a you know drinking a bottle of whiskey every day and a, a small one around uh, the relaxation response, then you know the motorway is going to be louder, right? So it's going to win out until you've done enough relaxation work so that that then becomes more powerful and becomes the default compared to the the the, you know, the more destructive habit. But you know we we are what we do, so habits are simply what we repeat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if we do 10 minutes, half an hour, whatever, of um, certain things every day, every time we do that, we lay down neurons in that neural network and that path becomes stronger. And right. eventually uh, that will be what we are. That will be who we are. So, you know, for, for many, a long time, I, I worked using meditation and breathing to get people to do that, to let, to repeat an activity, to lay it down. Um, but it became obvious, as I was saying before, that people's ability to engage with that was um, uh, increasingly difficult. And the thing with me, and I think the thing that people don't say enough about meditation and breathing is how hard they are. Oh no, I, I yeah, no, I think, and I think partially that's why it's the cheapest solution to the to the problem, if you will, and yet free, it remains right? the most elusive. Yeah, it's, it's the free, simplest, but it's it's the the most simplest thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, nothing could be simpler than do nothing. No, and more difficult. It's like and trying more to, difficult you know. because so, we are we yeah. are human doings, not human beings. So, so just being is very difficult for us, right? Correct, human doing. I like that. And because we are so neurologically overwhelmed, the ability to do little has really declined. So that's why using uh, and and every culture has developed versions of this. Mm-hmm. So using an external mechanism to enable your system to go into the relaxation response is really critical. Hey guys, I want to take a quick break from this episode to thank our sponsor Level Up, which is one of my favorite places to get my favorite gut healing supplement and a couple of others actually. But Level Up has extremely high quality supplements that are not available anywhere else. Their main product, Ultimate GI Repair, is the most effective all-in-one gut healing supplement on the market, containing BPC-157 alongside an amazing synergistic combination of other compounds that actually work and help you to achieve better gut health. He's also got other, other formulas that can help you with your other health goals, be that gut health and healing, liver detoxification, reducing inflammation, supporting brain function, or optimizing your health. They also offer KPV, Tudka, a complete liver complex, PEA, which is a powerful anti-inflammatory, and much more. Plus, each product formulation was created to address specific health goals and to reduce the multiple six to 12 products you would otherwise need to take, just simplifies it down to an all-in-one formula. Now, to learn more, check out their website, www.levelupheath.com. Now that's L-V-L-Uphealth.com. No ease there. L-V-L-Uphealth.com to see the full range of unique products Level Up has to offer. And make sure that you use code NAT10 and get 10% off your order. And now let's get back to the episode. So just going back to the vagus nerve for just a couple more minutes, because there's there there's now a a i mean every day i get it i, I mean every day you hear i mean i don't know if it's every day but we're constantly seeing new devices coming out um being offered to people and we have vagal nerve and and they all just many of them describe themselves the same way but but there seem to be two major categories in in vagal nerve devices that are coming out um, there's the vagal nerve toning, as you just described, which is 
it's almost like think of it as a fitness routine for your vagus nerve so that it is able to to if it was a muscle we want it to be able to contract and relax appropriately given the right stimulus and we would hope for our vagus nerve also to be able to fire and relax appropriately given the right circumstances and stimulus versus we have another set of devices that are vagal nerve stimulation devices which work a little bit differently i think the end goal is the same the idea is can can we help our vagal response to be appropriate more often so that our nerve is not in a constant state of contraction or firing let's say and you, you know you've you've repeatedly mentioned the effect of the vagus nerve on gut peristalsis and this is where you know things like ibs ibd irritable like these irritable bowel disorders are intrinsically linked like these are not problems with the physical bowel itself necessarily it's a problem of the nervous system and goes to mental state and all you know and of course there's gut microbiome there's so many things involved but at the end of the day it's a nervous system that's firing maybe inappropriately at the wrong times or not firing so anyway so this is a very long-winded way of saying can we make a little bit of a distinction between our vagal toning concept and our vagal stimulation concept and the different devices and in, in, not that we have to go through the different devices but let's at least talk about those buckets yeah i mean i've i've always made quite a clear distinction um and we started talking about the vagus nerve me and my clinic you know 20 odd years ago i think that work's largely been done now so yeah. we're now we're now beginning to talk about other things like anti-fragility because the vagus nerve is because is much so much more uh, in the mainstream, relatively speaking. But uh, I mean, stimulation, um, and, and, and these are not hard and fast definitions. No. Um, so there is a bit of, there is a bit of you know, vari variation on opinion here. But what I would say is that uh, when you talk about um, stimulation, you're talking about electrical uh, microcurrent. Yeah? You're using an electrical device uh, to mechanically or electrically stimulate something to contract. Mm-hmm. So that's how a TENS machine works, a transcutaneous electrical nerve stimulation device. It's how a, um, a, a vagus nerve stimulation technology works. And you pop it on the skin or you attach it internally um, to the vagus nerve uh, and it sends a current and it, and, it, and it makes it, you know, like, like making a frog's legs twitch. Correct. Uh, you know, using electrical current, you're making something contract and twitch. Toning for me has a much more holistic, um, uh, and, and the, the term vagal tone, well, vag vagal tone is, 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 how, is, is standard. That's how you refer to the, uh, the upregulation and downregulation capacity of the vagus nerve. Uh, and interestingly, Stephen Porges now talks about vagal flexibility, which I like actually. I right. Think that's, that's, yeah. I, I, I think that's probably a better term to talk about vagal flexibility, mm -hmm. uh, adaptability, because it's, it's all about the ability to adapt. Um, but I think, you know, when we use sound, yeah, so we're using broad spectrum sound, infrasound up to um, uh, audible sound. And that, um, you know, that, generally speaking, doesn't have the ability to make tissue do something it doesn't want to do. Mm. So it's a, when, it's, a, it's a gentler, it's a less intrusive approach in some it's ways. It's less invasive, it's gentler, yeah. yeah. It's, it's not associated with uh, adverse response. Um, you know, whereas obviously something, you know, if you're, if you're requiring forcing tissue to do something that maybe it doesn't want to do, uh, that can be really useful in an emergency situation where the person might otherwise not make it. Um, but in a, um, in a situation where people are dealing with lifestyle issues, 
yeah, eat and eat and that which may involve severe symptomology, right? Mm-hmm. Um, then really what, from my, from my point of view, you're, you're trying to work holistically and you're trying to encourage the body to become uh, more anti-fragile, more resilient, more able to cope rather than try and make it do something it literally can't do. So, 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 so yes, so toning is a, is, a, is a gentler, less invasive approach. Mm-hmm. For me, it's more holistic. Yeah. Um, it involves the mind and the body, yeah, because we are, we, we are creatures of mind and body and feeling. Um, uh, whereas using electrical stimulation is, is potentially aggressive and is, is, is a, you know, essentially a mechanical process. Right. Right. And so, so, okay. So now let's go back to the idea of toning and flexibility. And it's a little bit like, I mean, it's, you know, it's like, if we think about it, every, every health goal that we want to go to in the end, when we look at the best iteration, it's about flexibility. We want metabolic flexibility, for example, right? It would be great to be able to eat a ton of carbs all the time, but we need to be able to tap into our fat burning systems on occasion. And going back to your idea of allowing yourself to be hungry, well, you can only really allow yourself to be hungry and be uncomfortable in that sense. If your body is metabolically flexible enough to burn whatever you've got as stored energy for fuel, um, versus constantly relying on this constant input of of energy through food. Yeah, I mean, we we have got we have become the dominant species on the planet by being adaptable. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So we want to tap. We want to create that that adaptability. Yeah, yeah. In, there's, in there's, every nothing, there's nothing that we do other than higher thinking, which another animal doesn't do better than us. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good idea. That's an interesting. You know, yeah. we're not the best climbers, we're not the best swimmers, we're not the best runners, but we do have hands that work in a particular way and we can problem solve in a fairly unique way. Um, so this has enabled us to, you know, to be where we are. Um, so um, I've now completely forgotten how that relates to the question you asked. That's okay. So- <laughs> That's it's all good. Um, so, yeah, I'm basically just trying, I want to move us back to this this notion of vagal toning and yeah. and how important that flexibility is to it, it's not even that it's important it's our natural state that we want to be able to get back to right yeah. ultimately what we're trying to do in most cases is go back to the original wiring or the original wiring before the world convinced us that we needed to be in a constant state of stress and anxiety to, to well, listen, if, if, if health is a state of grace a state of ease uh, then when we're, dis- you know, when we have dis-ease or imbalance uh, or, you know, the homeostasis is lacking, homeostasis, as you know, is the, the balance, the, the ridiculously complicated balance that's going on microsecond by microsecond inside your body. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, what goes on just to keep you upright is, is, um, is, is astonishing. It is. It absolutely ut- Utterly, utterly astonishing how complex and evolved it is. So, you know, the fact that it works most of the time is a miracle, mm-hmm. um, quite, quite honestly. Um, but, uh, you know, the more the more adaptable, the more adaptogenic, the more flexible we are, the more anti-fragile we are, then the more we can roll with the punches. Absolutely. Absolutely. And life, life throws punches, right? There's nothing you can do about that. Mm-hmm. Nobody is immune from life's punches. Yep. Yep in in many many in in a million different ways so 
so let's so moving along our conversation here to the role of the vagus nerve in allowing ourselves in allowing us to become more flexible to um to be able to you know bend as we need to in a resilient way so that we can bounce back mm-hmm. um and this methodology that you've developed that helps to it helps us to develop if you will that flexibility over time well so sound vibration would have been our first sense before we had eyes or ears uh, we would have sensed the world around us through vibration you know whether to eat it whether to run away from it whether to have sex with it you know that would all have been down to vibration and for, and we've evolved um from there right to have to have now you know complex senses they reckon maybe 23 24 senses not the aristotelian five that we were supposedly right. allocated there are many 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 senses including things like interoception you know the ability to proprioception there's all kinds there's all kinds of really interesting senses uh which are as much to do in fact more to do with fascia connected tissue and the vagus nerve and associated mechanisms and they are to do with the eyes and ears and the things we tend to think of as the senses. Um, So uh, we have sense, we have vibration and sound receptors in our body that are additional to our ears. Now this hasn't been studied terribly well because, you know, it's, um, we tend to think of sound as being, you know, entirely ear-based, oral-based. Um, we, we, we have obviously cochlear implants for people with hearing issues. We have bone conduction headsets um, for people who need to have open ears but still be able to receive messages, whether it's special forces or bike messengers or whatever it might be. So, we, you know, we do understand Beethoven, who was deaf, of course, um, yes. was one of the first proponents of bone conduction. Right? He had a metal bar attached to his piano, which he would bite um, uh, so that he could hear the music while composing. That's no, how Beethoven, because he started to go deaf from the age of 20. Um, so, you know, the idea of hearing sound through channels other than the eardrum uh, is well established. Yeah. Um, well, and, and if you think about it, when we listen to music that moves us. Yes. It's, it is a somatic experience. You feel it in your body. Exactly. You, you would say, I feel the music. No, no, nobody would say, I think the music. No. I was moved by the music. I felt it, that music. I felt that whatever. Uh, absolutely. And, and I think a part, and, and, and it's not me saying this, it's been um, hypothesized that part of what we call the religious experience is based on large buildings or, or large stones, circles or buildings, and the use of low-frequency sound and the way that they generate a sensation of awe and wonder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so a, feel, a feeling of awe, which is an interesting combination of feeling slightly scared and hugely inspired at the same time. That's you know that is almost that's pretty much the definition of awe. Right, uh, it right. can be very transformational. Yeah, mm-hmm. we feel you know we feel, and it's the kind of thing that people, early astronauts felt. A lot of people feel when they see their baby for the first time uh, when they get to the top of the mountain. There were these moments, key awe-filled moments which have a massive effect on how uh, we feel and they're mediated via the vagus nerve and the rest of the connective tissue but um uh, and and uh, dacher is the guy to read about this but the having trying to in, um, in, introduce moments of small or daily or into your life uh is incredibly 
beneficial in terms of creating a kind of feedback loop. And that's really just down to gratitude and appreciation. So just stopping and noticing how amazing that flower is. Yeah. 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 Or list that bird that you, you know, that's there the whole time. Maybe you don't hear and think, oh my God, that is so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that bird and getting up 10 minutes early so you can see the sun come up. You know, these trying to build in moments of awe into Mm -hmm. your life is incredibly important because we are hardwired to love nature. Yes. There is nothing else. Well, there's literally nothing else in the world. (laughs) You know, we are all on life support. We're all on nature's life support. Mm -hmm. Um, And we are hardwired over hundreds of millions of years to be uh, uh, nurtured and to feel safe and to have positive feedback from biophilic sounds, sounds and, you know, so the sight of trees, the smell of nature, the sounds of nature, the sounds of water, wind. You know, how many people find rain really soothing? Yeah, for sure. You know? And it's hard. It's not not like that's, uh, you know, why would you find rain soothing, you know? Um, I mean, there's lots, you know, there there are possible reasons. But um, uh, so... Almost everything, and, and of course, we're also then made afraid by certain types of growls, by darkness, by certain sounds, etc. So we have these very profound survival responses, nurture and survival responses, which are almost entirely tied into our exposure to nature. So there really is, um, I mean, I, you know, the, the great, you know, the nature is the great teacher, you know, mm-hmm. along with playing with your comfort zone. Uh, that's the other, the other, that's what you can do, uh, you know, being, making sure that you're in nature. Uh, and if you're in a city, that might just mean staring at a poplar, right? Whatever you can do, looking at a tree outside a, a window. Right. You know, there is, there is, there's no substitute for our connection with nature. Correct. Well, there's, there's a, there's a whole branch, if you will, of, of mental health that's linked to this whole nature deficit disorder that, yeah pervasive in society but but you know so the the cutting people off from nature ultimately is going and and i think we could all agree that there's a big piece of that at work in a in the current state of the world right now it's just being cut off from from the natural world but but moving back towards this the importance of vibration right and and it's funny you mentioned how much how many people find rain soothing they don't actually find the sight of rain as soothing as they find the sound of rain. Soothing, exactly. Right? Exactly. And I know people in their cottages who've put tin roofs yeah. and that pitter patter, the sound of the rain on the tin roof is what they find incredibly soothing. So a people, yeah, a lot of people will use rain and even storms to go to sleep because they find it, um, you know, it it, uh, it it soothes them. A lot of people use coloured noise for anxiety and to go to sleep uh, because that mimics the sound of the environment around us when we were maybe sleeping in the forest. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sound of insects, or the rustle of leaves, uh, right. anything anything which mimics um, nature. That's why we like fire, right? Because it signifies safety. You know, human beings have gathered around the fire for tens, you know, hundreds of thousands of years. So we have a strong uh, affinity that's hardwired into our system to feel safe around certain sounds and definitely um, around um, around nature. And um, uh, as I say, because we have these vibration sensors in our body, 
yeah, not just our ears. Uh, I believe that uh, probably, you know, maybe something like 50% of the sound experience is physical, not oral, oral, right. oral as an A-U-R-A. Right. So, of course, we hear sound and we hear, a lot, a, you know, the nuance of sound, you know, the little trills and the sparkles. And, you know, in, in an, you know if you think of an orchestra, so, you know, the little bits the flute's doing and the cymbals are doing and the triangle and the uh, the horn section, et cetera, the high notes, you only really perceive that via the ears. And that's that, that's what gives music its color and its spectrum and its you know it's it's it's, it's beauty it's beauty but also without um the felt sense of music you know like you take that you take you take turn the treble up on your hi-fi and turn the bass right down mm-hmm. you end up with this mm-hmm. um you know like cheap hi-fi tinny sound yeah nobody likes that nobody yeah. likes that no yeah? and they might not even know why they're like but uh unless, because unless music and the sound is embodied mm-hmm it doesn't feel right. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, societies around the world have developed ways to act on this, whether it's humming, chanting, omming, singing, drumming. Tapping. The, the, the sure, the, tapping, absolutely, yeah. The tapping um, techniques, very yeah. similar, right? Yeah, this, the, exactly. This kind of rhythmic, uh, and, and in the case of, you know, some cultures, uh, monotonous, um, uh, uh, rhythmic beating, rhythmic drumming to produce a uh, kind of a brain entrainment. Yeah. So, you know, uh, and that, that only make that, that only makes sense once you know what the Hertz, the cycle rate is of the particular brain waves. But if you know what those are, then you can try and, uh, entrain brains into dream states, into, uh, relaxation states, into wakeful creative states by using particular patterns of frequency. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> which is in large part what we're going to talk about as well. Right. So, because you've done that work. Yeah. And well, that's what I, we do. That's what we yeah. do. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, I'll just share that when I first got sensei, I didn't fully get it. Right. So it sat in its box for a little while and I'm, you know, I was too busy, which is, you know, which is this crazy idea that we've, we kind of have put around ourselves and, and when I finally got my head, when I finally got it out of the box and charged it up and and used it for the first time, I was like, oh, wait, no, this is this is this is really interesting because the way that Sensei to just to describe it to people, the way that Sensei works, we have an audio track coming from our phone. But that audio okay. is being right preferably through headphones, but that audio was being translated into vibration through this device called the Sensate that we put on our chest that like it literally translates the sound back into, it sounds like, no, not exactly. Anyway, it felt like. Can I make make this an important correction? There's no reason why. Yeah, please do. Yeah. So um, the, what you feel, the low frequency or infrasound that you feel through the device on the chest, mm-hmm. which is then propagated through bone into the thoracic cavity, which acts like a kind of speaker cabinet and makes the body the body pulse, right? Yeah. So, they, so what what is emitted by the device isn't just the base end of the of what you're hearing. No. So it's a completely separate, orchestrated, composed piece. So it's you know so we if you think of our our pieces are, are like orchestrations. Yeah, most of it you can hear, but like you know, if you if you're sitting in a concert hall, you can't hear the oboe or the tuba. No, uh, but you know it's, it's there. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's part uh, of the package. 
Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, so the, the, the infrasound is orchestrated, um, but it's not part of what you hear. Oh, that's okay. Well, that's interesting because I would have, I kind of imagined that it was a piece of the audio. Like my favorite track that I've listened to so far is the Sound Bowls and Chants. Uh-huh. There's yeah. something about that track that for me yeah. hits it, even if so I'm going. Uh? So Temple or Nebula probably. Yeah. And there's something about it that, and it's not necessarily a sleep track. Mm-hmm. And yet I will use it at bedtime and have the best sleep and it shows up in my scores the next day you know it shows up in my hrv and we did we did a trial a study recently that showed that sensate users got one hour of extra sleep uh, a night and fell asleep 28 minutes quicker than, 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 than they had prior to not using it right so these are people obviously who have trouble sleeping so and you know so what's interesting is i'm a person who doesn't have trouble with sleep and and still it may, has a positive impact on my sleep and my um, resilience, right? Yeah. So it shows yeah. up in my HRV as a better score because that's those are two different ends of the spectrum. We have the people who can't sleep. And if you can help those guys, holy jump in, right? Like that is one of the worst problems in society right now, along with stress and anxiety, contributing to stress and anxiety. Well, but that, those- that's the, mo- the most common feedback is uh, assistance to sleep, yes. Yeah. But for those of us who, you know, we fall asleep, we mostly stay asleep, we do fine to be able to hone our sleep, to be able to get more out of the hours that we put in, because I don't want to have to sleep 10 hours to get more. I want to get more out of my seven hours or seven and a half hours. I want to be exactly There's, there's, there's sleep and there's sleep, isn't there? Exactly. Exactly. But there's other applications for Sensate. So now we know. So Sensate works through sound and through um through this this what's it called soma acoustic right so the somatic the somatic experience of the physical sensate sitting on the chest and doing what it does so it's, it's all sound some of it you hear and some oh, of right. it you feel. But I it's, keep it's making all, that mistake. right but it's all it's all yeah it's all sound uh but yeah. i mean and that's that sounds like a simplification, but of course, everything in the universe is is, is vibration and sound. So, uh, so it's <laughs> so, a different form of vibration. So, but it's not just for sleep. So there are different programs. There's different tracks. Um, yeah. So yeah, there's some, there's some stuff to use in the morning to wake up too to kind of get your cortisol um, firing. Um, but mostly the use case is down regulation and relaxation because that's where the primary issue is. Right. Um, uh, you know, I've never, and I, I meet, um, uh, lots of people who are anxious and stressed and, and, and think they, uh, um, and need, need to relax, many of whom think they want to do more. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, very few people need to do more, but most people, and in fact, most people will do more if they can ground themselves more and they can, and they can be more relaxed. Cause it's, it's like, you know, if your, uh, adrenaline and uh, stress hormones are, terrible ways to achieve anything yeah you know it's not well, having half a dozen expressos and then trying to write something you know it's like you know um it's, it's not a good way to get anything done mm-hmm. um so you might feel like you're running around well you are probably are running around but uh, i don't mean you in one might feel like one's um you know being highly productive but it's it's kind of empty productivity it's an empty energy and then you're likely to crash afterwards well i was gonna say it's you will you may get away with it and get a lot done for a period of time but at some point 
you run out of steam, right? And the idea is to have this constant flow of energy that is that is healthy so that you don't burn out. The, the running on adrenaline mm. concept works really well until it stops working completely. <laughs> until it doesn't, exactly. Until it doesn't. And uh, I mean, yes, sleep is a big thing. Lots of people say, oh, it's brilliant. It helps me go to sleep. A lot of people say, I didn't know I had a sleep problem uh, until I started using Sensei and then I realized I did. Um, I mean, we're, we're not a medical device, so we don't make a lot of medical claims. But um, what people very, very consistently report to us is they didn't realize how stressed and anxious they were until they felt, felt more relaxed. Right. Well, which is the case, right? We don't we don't realize how much pain we live with until we get rid of the pain. We don't realize. We don't. Yeah. yeah. And we don't realize that we have digestive issues until we don't. Yeah. Because for many people, they'll say to me, I had no idea how bloated I was or how tired yeah. I was after meals until suddenly we've done something to optimize their digestion. And they're like, holy crap, I feel completely different. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and also what I want you know, what the thing that keeps us going, because startup life uh, is not easy, you know, there's a lot of work um, and it's hard to develop products and to keep up with customer expectation the whole time in a small uh, agile team, but it's the user information and feedback coming in that keeps us all going. You know, people writing in spontaneously, you know, literally every day saying, and you've changed my life. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's nothing uh, like that to keep you going, right? No, exactly. One, one of my favorites was a, um, a, a US soldier actually who, with PTSD, post combat, who hadn't been able to leave the, the, um, the house for five years. Uh, within a week of using Sensei, he was out for dinner with his family. Um, Wow. And so that changed the lives of five people. Well, exact at least. I mean, the the satellite effect of changing one life is incredible, incredible. And so, all right. So let's. I mean, we don't have. You know, we're going to have to kind of wind up at some point. So why don't we get in? Let's just you know stop being around the bush here. And what is the best way for people to use Sensei to get the most benefit? And I'm sure it's going to depend on why you're using it. But let's say we say. You know, for people who feel that they're in an anxious state too often and don't seem to be able to access some of these, you know, whether it's meditation or breath work, and that doesn't really work for them, how would they yeah. use a um, sensei to help themselves? What I, what I would say is trust our expertise. Yeah, so follow the use case. Uh, it's very tempting to try and um, uh, do more or less you know, like I said, you know, people that want to, um, you know, listen to some, you know, books while, while meditating or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people will try and work or try and meditate or try and be in the gym while using their sensei around their neck. You know, the, what we are, the use case, the, what we ask people to do is 10 minutes, once a day, lying back or reclining with headphones on and your eyes closed. Yeah. And then you choose the track, you hit go, you put it in the right place. And you just, you know, and then you, and then you don't do anything. You don't try to do anything. You don't try and breathe. You don't try and relax. Uh, and there's, you know, and we always see this uh, when we do demos and things. There's this magic moment that happens about minute seven or eight, the first time users who are kind of lying there. And you can kind of see them thinking, yeah, all right, it's very nice. But and then about minute seven or eight, for the vast majority of people, not everyone, you suddenly see this, ah. Oh, Hmm. And the body just relax, and a bit like I think you were just saying something similar. The body just suddenly understands and gets it, and allows you to switch off and surrender. Some for some people that takes maybe several sessions or even a week. 
for the vast majority of people, it happens within a few sessions. Um, and so just, you know, just allowing yourself to be soothed, you know, without trying to do anything. Some people do, you know, and that's 10 minutes once a day. Some people do several sessions or longer sessions because they really like it. Yeah. Um, and that's really important because we, we repeat what we like. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of therapies, including vagus nerve stimulation therapies, which are quite unpleasant. Mm-hmm. Nobody particularly wants to be tasered on the neck. No. Um, but, uh, and, but, and even though there's some great research for some of these things, like for migraine, for instance, I could never get people to use them because they didn't like them. Yeah, no, it, I mean, look, if it doesn't, if it doesn't feel good, you're not going to do it. And so, I mean, and to that end, I think that it, it speaks to the variety of options out there. But I do think that with the sensei, it's, it's a very low barrier to entry because ultimately it's pleasant. Like it feels good. It and, feels good. It's effective. It's, easy. it's yeah. easy. It feels good. It's effective. It's enjoyable. You want to do it again. Yeah. Um, and there isn't an in the moment immediate effect, but of course there's also a cumulative effect. Every time you do a sensate session, you're laying down some neurons in that relaxation response neural network. Mm-hmm. If, if, when you've done that 20 times, that neural network is just that much more robust. Yeah. Exactly. Well, it's the it's that whole idea of the what is it nerves that wire together fire together. Yeah, together, yeah. Carla Schatz, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. So we are what we do, uh, but with nerves in particular, that uh, it's it's a permanent change. Yeah. If you, you know, and as long as you do enough of it, that then becomes the default. Yeah. No. And it's so so the uh, so case use applications. So we have daytime use as a you know if nothing else as a 10 minute pause in your day to, to yeah, help. I mean, definitely do a 10 minute pause. You can do much more than that if you want to. You can use it for sleep preparation. Yeah. yeah so a session before going into bed. A lot of people do that. A lot of people get on really well with that. Just a quick note about position. Yes. Because um, it does seem to confuse people. I mean, it's always on the midline, right? So it's on the midline of the chest bone, which is called the sternum. Uh, it, you know, it, it comes with a, with a lanyard, so it kind of hangs in that position anyway, even though you're kind of lying down. It could still be quite good to have it there just because a lot of people, when they're very relaxed, they'll stand up and it will go flying because they forget <laughs> it and they fall asleep. Uh, I like to use it personally inside the bag, the neoprene bag that it comes with. I put it inside oh, the bag. Do. Interesting. Um, and then I put it between two layers of clothing. So I don't put it on skin. I put it between a T-shirt and a jumper or similar, uh, that which also holds it there. Mm-hmm. And you know, you know the position's right because if it's too high, you're kind of feeling it in your neck. If it's too low, it's not on the sternum; it's on the abdomen. It's got to be on bone. Okay. Um, and because everybody's thoracic architecture is a bit different, part of the way that sensate works is through this kind of um, anatomical um, um, bespokeness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but so it will respond in slightly different positions to, on it on each person. So you can move it up or down, you know, a centimeter. Uh, till you find the spot that feels most um, pleasant and resonant for you. Oh, interesting. And that'll be the spot where your thoracic architecture is humming most effectively. Hmm. So definitely. So playing with the position is a thing. I've never used it in the neoprene bag. I I tend to use it directly on the skin. So I'm gonna. You can do, I mean, it's just a little. It, it, yeah. I mean, I I think it's just. Um, there it is. Uh, I just found it. Yeah. There you go. So <laughs> right I, I, I I I use it. I use it in the bag, uh, between two layers of clothing, not directly on the skin. New users, I would always say start on low. Mm-hmm. 
occasionally we get somebody that says, I got it and I, I, I put it on 11 and wore it for six hours. And no, don't do that. Don't do that. Um, you know, start, yeah. I mean, it's like allow your system a bit of exposure. It's, it's new. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unless you've done a lot of work in this kind of area, it's going to be new for you. So do, you know, use it on low for a few sessions, build up slowly, use it in the bag and, um, uh, and, 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 you know, you'll, you'll love it. Allow your journey. So, and so that's also an important point to, to mention to people is, you are in control here. So you can control the intensity of the vibration very easily through your app and you yeah. control the volume of the sound that you're getting through the ears as uh-huh. well through the app. So yeah. you, what's interesting is you are in charge of the journey, but once you've decided how much stimulation you want, now the device takes over and delivers you know, the, the program as it were. Exactly. Well, yeah. Once once you're you've you know set the volume level you like, which might change over time, but once you set mm-hmm. the, the level you like, you then just lie back and do nothing. Yeah. And 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 you know, and I think I really like what you said earlier. You do nothing in the sense that you're giving yourself that that physical pause. But if your brain wanders, it's okay. Like you 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 know, it's. I think a big part of this, a big part of Sensate, is not stressing about clearing your mind about. Yeah, Any yeah, of totally. that, you, you don't have to do that work necessarily. Yeah. It may happen naturally over time, but in a way, you can just allow this thing to do what it's doing in the context of whatever's happening. Yeah, Michelle, who I work with, um, says that, which I love. She says, you can't fail at using Sensei. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, well, actually, you can very, very much fail with meditation. So, you know, if you do need to do something for 10,000 hours to become an expert at it, yeah. Um, if you were doing an hour a day, that would be a long time. In mm-hmm. fact, most people attempting to do an hour of meditation a day are probably doing five minutes of actual yeah. meditation. Yeah. So 10,000 hours, 10,000 hours and five minute chunks. Nobody's got that long. No, no, no. <laughs> it's uh, more time than we're allotted. So yeah. welcome to the world of Sensate, guys. I I do, I have to say that, like I said, it took me a little while to get my Sensate out of the box because I had so much going on and so much travel. But once I got out of the box, I've not been far from it um, <laughs> from that day. And and I and as I said, I mean, you know, I've been really amazed in for someone who sleeps reasonably well at how much of an impact it's had on my sleep and my stress resilience. So and it makes it easy for me to use, right? I mean, I'm a person today after this podcast, I've got meetings every hour to half hour through the day. So that's for me to find more than 10 minutes. I mean, I probably won't on a day like today find the time to lie back. But at the end of the day, I can at least know that there's something that's going to hopefully not yeah, at the end of the day or lunchtime or morning. Uh, yeah. it's not, I'm a 50-year meditator, and I use Sensei every day. Right. Yeah. Well, there you go. Right? So it's it's in, in addition to. Yeah. Yeah. All right, sir. Well, where do we send people to learn more, even more, about Sensei? <laughs> and maybe if they want to get their hands on one and give it a try. Well, the website's uh, get sensate.com um i think if they do slash nat uh they get to a page which is specific for you as well uh, on getsensate.com there's obviously information about uh, the team about the science if you scroll right down to the bottom 
um, because we're not particularly pushing it, but there is a blog button. Yeah. So there are there is actually an archive of articles, but you have to scroll down to the bottom, uh, and there's a lot of interesting information there as well, obviously, in the articles. For sure. And there's also a link to a study that you did last year, Feb 2022, uh, in 2022, on Sensate and people's feelings of perceived stress and anxiety. And that's a really... Yeah, actually, we've done a lot more um, uh, and, 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 and and better studies since then, as well, bigger studies since then, which I think aren't on the website yet. Um, as I, while I mentioned, which showed you know an hour of extra sleep and half falling asleep half an hour sooner, etc. Another one which showed improvements to heart rate uh, and, th- and changes to theta wave in the brain, etc. So we, we're doing you know we do we have a program of ongoing um, studies and research, um, and that's going and, and we'll probably the first piece will probably be published in an academic journal at the end of this year. But we're we're starting to put stuff up on the website as well. Fabulous. Okay, so it's getsensate.com forward slash Nat, and that I believe will save you guys a little bit of money on your purchase. Right. Um, and Stefan, do you also, um, do you have an Instagram account as well? I think you do. There, of course there is. Um, if you search Sensei on Instagram, on Facebook, on um, I think we do have a Twitter. I'm not sure. Twitter's not something we particularly use. Instagram and Facebook in particular are places yep. you will find us if you just search Sensei. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time today. Oh, you're so welcome. It's always um, lovely to talk about the product because I think it's, you know, we want to change the world and it's lovely to speak to someone like you. Thank you so much. I um, The feeling is mutual. I appreciate your time today. Thanks so much. And your incredible work in this space. Thank you for, um, thank you for bringing Sensate to the world. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes because that's what helps us to be heard and to be seen. If you'd like to connect with me directly or if you'd like to leave any comments or if you have any questions about this episode, please reach out to me directly through my website, natnidham.com. And of course, if you're not already a member of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Community on Facebook, that's where you'll find me every day. It's a short application, just answered a couple of questions and you're in and interfacing with other amazing biohackers. Thanks again, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode.